0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I'm Dr. Joanna Alvalla. I'm the Science Education Manager at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. And I'd like to welcome you to the third in our series this year of Marvelous Machines. So today, we're going to learn about another cool machine that allows scientists and engineers at the lab to make exciting new discoveries. So today, we're going to hear a really, really cool presentation about a very neat machine that uses plasmas to make new discoveries. So let's introduce our presenters today. First, Dr. Felice Albert, who received her PhD in physics from the Ecole Polytechnique in France. And she is joined today by Dan Burns, who is a science teacher at Los Gatos High School. And he received his BS degree from the University of Illinois in Aerospace Engineering. So sit back and enjoy.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, It's such an honor to see a large crowd today. So thank you very much for coming here and spending part of your Saturday with us this morning. So my name is Felice, and I came to the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory 10 years ago, initially as a postdoctoral researcher. I am originally from France, and when I grew up, I wanted to be either an astronaut or an orthopedic surgeon. Today, I'm neither an astronaut nor an orthopedic surgeon because somewhere along my path, I discovered the wonderful world of lasers and plasma, which is what brought me to the lab today. And so this morning, I hope to share with you some of the excitement that comes with working uh, in that field of research. And in order to understand what laser plasma accelerators are and what they do, well, let's try to first understand what a real particle accelerator is and what it does. So what is a particle accelerator? Well, particle accelerators are very big machines. Here is one of them. It's called the Large Hadron Collider. It's at CERN near Geneva in Switzerland. And what it does is that it's accelerate particles to make fundamental discoveries about new particles. It is very big. You can see on the picture that it's about the size of an airport runway. It is 27 kilometers in circumference. And I like to make the comparison that it's about the size of a big city like Paris, the capital of France, very big machines today we have many particle accelerators around the world and they're used for many things for example they're used for fundamental discoveries they can help discover new particles they're used for medical applications they can be used to cure cancer they can be used to diagnose diseases they're used for industry they can help look and manufacture the chips that are in your telephones. And finally, they can be also used for national security applications. They can help prevent threats from entering the country at ports or at airports. So particle accelerators, as their names say, use particles. Where do these particles come from? Well, particles come from all the matter that we have around us in our daily lives. That matter is made of what we call elements. Here are a few examples behind me. For example, we have water. This has the element hydrogen and oxygen. We have the air that we breathe. It's made of the element nitrogen and oxygen for the most part. We have diamonds. Diamonds are made of the element carbon. And then we have, for example, copper pipes that you have around the house are made primarily of the element copper. Now, if you were to take a look and take a magnifying glass to look at uh, the matter and the elements more closely, what you would see is something that we call an atom. So an atom, it's the smallest form of matter that will retain the properties of an element. And to give you an idea of how small an atom is, for example, a one carat diamond, which is about the size of my engagement ring, It has about 10 to the 22 atoms in it. That's one with 22 zeros behind it. So that's a lot of atoms. If we take a closer look, this is how an atom looks like. It's made of two parts. The first one is what we call the nucleus. It's right in the middle. In this nucleus, we have particles. We call them subatomic particles. The first ones are protons. Protons are positively charged particles. They're glued together with neutrons. Neutrons have no charge. And around the nucleus, other particles are orbiting. These particles are called electrons. They have a negative charge. And so together, they form the atom. And in an atom, the number of protons is equal to the number of electrons so that overall it's neutral. And the number of protons and electrons you have in an atom determines the type of element you're you're looking at. In an atom, electrons can become separated from the nucleus if you bring it enough energy. For example, if you take a rubber band and you try to pull on it a little bit, it's going to stretch. And if you pull hard enough, you're gonna be be able to break it. It's the same thing with an atom. We can break electrons from the nucleus. So in order to understand now how we can accelerate the particles in a particle accelerators, I'm gonna take you to a place that's very close to here. It's at the SLAC National Accelerator Laboratory. It's in the south of the San Francisco Bay area, near Palo Alto and it has a very big particle accelerator that you can see uh, from from the plane, for example, before you land in San Francisco. It is three kilometers in length. It's one of the longest particle accelerators in the world. If you look inside the particle accelerators, it begins with a laser. You will see laser pulses in red. They're bouncing off of a mirror to heat a piece of a copper. And so the laser has enough strength and energy to extract electrons from that piece of copper. And the electrons in blue are sent into the particle accelerator. And so they travel through the machine where they undergo a number of things. First off, they're pushed by an electrical field and they will also go through magnets so that if you take a closer look, you can see that their trajectory is slightly bent by the magnetic field in the magnet This is what we see right here. Once they have done that, then the electrons travel through the machine and are pushed by the very powerful electrical field of the particle accelerator to reach very 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 high speeds. They reach speeds so high that they go to nearly the speed of light, which is very fa- which is very fast, 300,000 kilometers per second. And so now in order to help you understand uh, a little bit some of their applications. One of the things that we do with them is that we can use them to make x-rays. You've probably all been to the dentist or to the doctor to have an x-ray picture taken. With x-rays, we can look through objects and through things. So what are exactly x-rays? X-rays is exactly like the light we have around us. It's like the light of these projectors, except that we cannot see them. We cannot see them like regular light. So scientists have a very particular way to describe light and radiation. We describe that as waves carrying energy. And so the distance between two crests of your wave, it's called the wavelength. And that tells you the type of radiation we're looking at. For example, if the wavelength is about the size of a big building, like the Bang Theater, then we will have what we call radio waves. It's the wave that you use to transmit radio signal, uh, the radio that you listen in your car. If the wavelength is about the size of a human body, then we have what we call microwaves. This is the same type of wave that you use in an oven to reheat your lunch, for example. If the wavelength is about the size of a bee or a needle, we have what we call infrared. This is light that can be emitted by your body when your body temperature is hot, for example. If the wavelength is about the size of a big bacteria that you could look under a microscope, then we have what we call visible light. This is the light that you see. This is the color of the rainbows. And then as you get to smaller wavelengths, if the wavelength is about the size of a molecule, a very big molecule, we have what we call ultraviolet. Finally, when we get to a size so small that the wavelength is about the size of an atom, we have what we call x-rays. And even smaller, if the wavelength is the size of the nucleus of the atom, we have what we call gamma rays. So x-rays have a very high uh, energy and very short wavelength. And so because of these, they can be used for a lot of things. And one of the nice properties of the x-rays is that they can penetrate through things. They can penetrate through your body so that you can have x-ray pictures taken of your bones, of your teeth, uh, to help you diagnose broken bones, for example. But it's also the same type of radiation that's being used at airports to look through your luggage. You can see that this person has a nice bottle of wine in his suitcase. And finally, x-rays can also be used to look at objects, such as a TV remote here that is being looked at under x-ray pictures. So we have a particle accelerator. How do we make x-rays with a particle accelerators? Well, we do this by letting the particles change their path when they travel. So in a particle accelerator, like the SLAC particle accelerator, X-rays travel in a straight path. But if you make the the particles turn, they will emit radiation. Here is how we can understand this. If you're in your car and you're driving very fast on the freeway, then it's going to require some effort to turn. Right? It's going to require some effort to turn the steering wheel. And the natural direction that you will want to keep going to is the straight direction. It's not natural to do that turn, especially if you go very fast. Well, so when you make the particle turn, it's going to give away an extra bit of energy in the form of radiation in the direction that it initially wants to go to. So a particle changing its path is going to emit radiation along the direction of the path it's going to. So it's going to emit bits of radiation. In a particle accelerator, how do we make particles change their path from the straight path? For that, we use magnets. So if we have an electron entering through a series of magnets, these magnets can be alternatively placed. They're called north and south magnets, and we alternate them. And so we can make the electron go up and down and up and down and up and down with powerful magnets. And when when we do that, when the electron goes up and down and up and down, then it's going to emit radiation each time it changes direction. And so now, in order for you to understand the role of electrical field and magnetic fields in particle accelerators, I'm going to turn it over to Dan, who is going to show you some demonstrations about that.
2: So particle accelerators use magnetic fields and electric fields to accelerate particles, uh, this is a Van de Graaff generator, which, when I turn it on, will create an uh, electric field. It's a miniature version of the one used at the lab at the Center for Advanced Mass Spectroscopy. And on top of it, I have some small pi tins. And when this generates an electric field, it will make them have a negative charge, and they will repel each other. So there will be an electric force on them, just like the force on the electrons at SLAC and other particle accelerators. But there's another force on these pie tins. The entire Earth is pulling on these pie tins with its force of gravity. So we kind of got a tug of war going on when I turn it on. Who's going to win? The stinky little machine with an electric force or the entire Earth with gravity? Let's see. Oh, Earth loses. Well, eventually it wins. So this machine is generating an electric field around it, and I'll occasionally get a little reminder of that. Uh, It's powerful enough to ionize the air near it, and so if I hold a light near it, it sends the electrons through this tube, and you see evidence of that when they hit the mercury atoms in the tube, cause them to give off light. We're creating a little miniature particle accelerator get this one off without killing myself. Uh, Here's another small particle accelerator. This is called a Crookes tube. And I have a device that will create an electric field that's stronger than this one. And we can actually see a beam going through it. So I'm sending the electrons, a lot more electrons, through this and there's a little bit of air in there causing it to glow. And then to show you how you can use magnets to alter the beam, I've got a strong magnet here. So you can see charged particles are affected by magnets. And that'll be key to later as you understand how we use particle accelerators to generate X-rays. Back to you, Fleesey.
1: Thank you, Dan. That was a very insightful demonstration, which I I hope allowed you to see how important and strong are electrical fields and magnetic fields. And we use them for particle accelerators. So back to our particle accelerators. We have an electron. It's accelerated to near the speed of light. And it's going through magnets. And then it's wiggling inside of the magnets to emit x-rays. Typically, the size of these magnets are about a centimeter. It's about the width of one of my fingers. But wait a minute. The wavelength of x-rays is much smaller than that. A centimeter is about the wavelength of a microwave. And the wavelength of an x-rays would be about 100 millionth time smaller than this. So how do we get for, from something that big to something with such a small wavelength as an X-ray. So in order to understand how these particle accelerators are capable of making X-rays, I'm going to ask uh, for some help from a famous physicist. I'm going to ask for some help from Albert Einstein. So (laughs) Albert Einstein is going to explain us why we have X-rays coming out of our particle accelerators. So among the many clever things that Albert Einstein did, he derived a theory which is called the special theory of relativity. And I'm going to explain it to you now. So the special theory of relativity has taught us three things. We get three things from that. The first one is that we cannot go faster than the speed of light. Nobody can go faster than the speed of light. That's the maximum speed limit you're allowed to go to. And that's true for electrons, too. The second one is that anything or anybody going to very close to the speed of light will look like is shrunk. Here is an example. Let's say today we're around Livermore, and we're on First Street, and there is a traffic officer on the street looking at traffic. I'm a cyclist. I love cyclists. I I love cycling. And so at lunchtime around the or you'll find me on my bike. And let's say today I'm very strong. I decided to go to 99.999% the speed of light. Very strong cyclist. And so when I pass by the traffic officer, he will see me as a shrunk cyclist. I will look 10,000 times smaller than if I was going to a normal speed because I'm going to very close to the speed of light. That's what the special theory of relativity tells me. And the third thing that the special theory of relativity tells me is that everything is relative. So the traffic officer will see me shrunk, but me, on my bike, I will think that I am normal. I'm not shrunk at all. But I will pass so fast by the traffic officer that I am the one who is going to see him shrunk. And he's going to be 10,000 times smaller to me than what he was in reality, because everything is relative. So how does this apply to our electrons traveling through our particle accelerators? Well, when the electrons enter the magnets, the magnets are, we said, about a centimeter in size. Because they're going so fast, they're going to 99.9999% the speed of light, what they're going to see is a shrunk magnet, just like the traffic officer will see a shrunk cyclist. And so the electrons will see a 10,000 times smaller magnet than what his real size is. And so we're almost there. That's not quite the size of an X-ray wavelength yet, but we're almost there. We have one more step. And that last step is something that's called the Doppler effect. So. In its shrunk magnet, the electron is emitting a wave. We're not yet at the wavelength of X-rays. We're about 10,000 times away from that. But you've all seen, for example, an ambulance coming at you. When the ambulance is coming at you on the street, you can hear it with a very higher pitch than when it's leaving you. It's doing that And so that's effect, it's called the Doppler effect, and it also applies to light. And so when an electron coming very fast at us is emitting light, we're going to have the wave emitted from the electron shrunk. And because of that, we're there. We have x-rays. So that's how a particle accelerator emits x-rays. The two types of machines that uses this principle to emit X-rays are called synchrotrons and free electron lasers. This is a picture of a synchrotron behind me. It's at the Argonne National Laboratory uh, near Chicago. And the second one, it's called the LENA Coherent Light Source. It's at SLAC, very close to here in the Bay Area. And this is an X-ray free electron laser that emits X-rays also for scientific applications. So the x-rays, I told you earlier, they have the property of having very small wavelengths. Wavelengths so small that they can look at molecules and atoms. So one example, one thing that could be useful, for example, is try to look at the way water molecules form. So water is made of oxygen and then two hydrogen atoms. So the way the atoms assemble to form a molecule, it happens very quickly. It happens in a time that is called a few femtoseconds. A femtosecond, it's a very short time. It's, about a, it's a quadrillionth of a second. So let's try to picture how short that is. If you're trying to compare a femtosecond to a minute, it's exactly the same thing as comparing a minute to the age of the universe, which is 14 billion years. So femtosecond is very, very short. For example, in one second, if you were to take some light and you wanted that light to travel at the speed of light from the earth to the moon, it would take you on the order of one second. In one femtosecond, that same light would barely have time to cross the width of one of my hair. So this is an extremely short time. And so the big machines that I showed you, the synchrotrons and the free electron lasers, what are they doing? What kind of x-rays do they give us? A synchrotron, it gives us x-rays that have several wavelengths at a time, but it's a very slow machine. It does not provide femtosecond x-rays. On the other hand, the x-ray free electron laser, it provides only one wavelength at a time, but it's very fast. It's femtosecond, so you can look at things happening in real time. Well, wouldn't it be nice to have an x-ray source that has several wavelengths, and that is femtoseconds? Of course it would be. And wouldn't it be nice if that x-ray source could fit in your garage? That would be great. So this is what I'm going to show you next, how we can accelerate particles on a much smaller scale, uh, and then how we can use these particles to make x-rays as well. So we can accelerate particles on a smaller scale by using lasers and plasma to do something that we call laser wakefield acceleration. On the left-hand side, you see the slack particle accelerator, which is three kilometers in length. You can see it from the air when you're flying in San Francisco. And then on the right-hand side of the slide, you see a laser plasma accelerator that I'm working on with one of my colleagues. It's about a meter in length. And this is possible because the electrical field that Dan illustrated uh, earlier in his demonstration, it is about ten, it's about 1,000 times stronger in a laser plasma accelerator than in a laser uh, regular accelerator. So we have our strong electrical field. How do we do that? How do do we do a laser plasma accelerator? Well, we need two things. The first one is that we need a laser. So what is a laser? You've probably all heard about lasers before. Lasers are used in many, many things in our daily lives. For example, when you go grocery shopping and you scan items at the register, it uses a laser. If you want to have surgery on your eyes, it uses a laser. And so, laser is a common word, but it's actually an acronym. It stands for Light Amplification by Stimulated Emission of Radiation. And it's a very, very powerful type of light. For example, if you take a light bulb, it emits many colors in many directions. So, whichever angle you try to look at the light bulb from, you will see the same thing. You will see the same light. Now, let's imagine you can take all of that light emitted by the light bulb, and you put it in one color and in one direction. You have a very powerful light source, and that is a laser. And so to help you understand exactly how lasers work and why they're so powerful, I'm going to turn it over to Dan again uh, to help you uh, do a little bit of demonstration uh, with lasers.
2: Wow, I've learned a lot already, and we're only about halfway through. How about a big round of applause for Felicia? you far, doing a great job. Now, your applause has more in common with the light sources here in the room than a laser. Uh, as Felicia said, a laser is one wavelength, one color, and it's all emitted in one direction. But there's another important thing about it. It's coherence. And so if light is a wave, it's waving up and down with the light sources in this room. And our applause was more like this, waving at different times. But a laser light, to be coherent, it's going up and down at the same time. But maybe we could simulate that with our applause. How about if we clapped again, but then see if we can get in sync and even though the same amount of energy is coming from our applause, I think it'll sound more powerful as our claps sync up. So let's see if we can clap and kind of clap together. <laughs> see how more powerful that is? Very good. There's a little dab there. So uh, we even increased our frequency, which uh, I didn't expect that. So, uh, so that's the idea of a laser. It's one wavelength one direction and coherent, so it makes it a lot more powerful and can create the uh, laser wake field we're about to hear about.
1: Well, congratulations. You just have made a laser. <laughs> so the second thing we need in a laser plasma accelerator, it is a plasma. So let's try to understand what a plasma is. Earlier in my presentation, I explained to you what atoms are. And so a laser is very powerful. And so it has enough power to separate the electrons from the nucleus in an atom. So here, this is an example of a very simple atom. It's helium. It's a gas. And helium has two electrons orbiting around a nucleus that has uh, two protons. And so the laser can separate the electrons from the rest of the nucleus in an atom when we shine laser onto helium. So what you're left with is electrons that have been freed from the atom, and then the nuclei that are still here that are without their electrons. So we call them ions. So this soup of electrons and ions separated from each other is what we call a plasma. It's a very, very common form of matter in the universe. And so the electrons and the ions in a plasma, they don't really quite behave the same way. The ions are more than a thousand times heavier than the electrons. So if you want to compare the ions to the electrons, it's a bit like comparing bowling balls to ping pong balls. So you can see that if I were to just go through uh, electrons and ions, ping pong balls and bowling balls, my ping pong balls would move around a lot faster and a lot more easier than my bowling balls. So we're going to say that because the ions, the bowling balls, are very heavy, they're not going to move. So when a laser is going to go through that plasma, that soup of electrons and ions, it's going to be able to move the electrons around while the ions don't move. And it's very similar to what I'm showing here. If you have a boat on a lake, you all know that it's creating a wake behind it. So now, if you imagine that the laser is going to be your boat and the lake is your electrons, this is what's going to happen. This is a, powerful computer simulation done by one of my colleagues. And so in green, you have your boat, the laser. The size of this box here is about the width of a human hair. And so now let's see what our laser boat does when it goes through this plasma moving around electrons. Well, it's just going to push around the electrons. And just like a boat creates a wake on a lake, the laser is creating a wake behind using electrons. This is what we call an electron plasma wave. So we've created an electron plasma wave. It's very similar to what we have on the lake. And so let's say we have our electron plasma wave. What happens if one of these electrons gets trapped into the plasma wave? What do you think the electron can do? It will do something that people like a lot in California. It will surf. So the electron is like a surfer. And if the electron is able to catch the wave and get trapped into the wave, it will ride the wave so that it can gain enough energy and be accelerated to very high energies. This is a little bit uh, a more detailed way of explaining it. So you have a wave that forms. It becomes very, very high. Then the electrons in red in this graph are able to catch the wave. And when they catch the wave and get trapped into it, they surf the wave and they gain a lot of energy. So I'm going to show you two examples. And just like surfing, laser wake field acceleration requires extremely good synchronization between the electron and the wave. So here, you can see on this picture that you have a lot of surfers. These are the electrons. And there is a big wave. This is your electron plasma wave that the surfers are going to catch. You will see that the surfers that do not have enough initial velocity or that don't make the effort to paddle won't catch the wave. But you'll have a very clever surfer that you can see on the movie who is going to be able to catch the wave and ride it to get accelerated to very high energies. This is the same thing as laser wake field acceleration. So laser wave field acceleration works well if you have a big wave and a surfer electron that can catch that wave. Well, I was told that when coming to California, surfing is the thing. I grew up skiing in France, but I took on surfing in California. So here is me trying to be an electron in the sea. And So you can see that if the electron doesn't make the effort to catch the wave, the wave is just passing by and nothing happens. (laughs) But if the electron tries to make a little bit of effort, the electron can painfully try to catch that wave, and, 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 yes, the electron catches the wave. But compared to the other movie, you can see that the wave was not powerful, and the electron had a little bit of a hard time to catch that wave. So in laser wake field acceleration, it is the same. You need big waves and then clever electrons that can trap the wave and be accelerated by the wave. So in reality, unfortunately, we don't do this type of experiment by surfing, but we use lasers. And these are the types of lasers that we use at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory with our teams. The one on the left-hand side of the slide is called the Callisto laser. And the one on the right hand side is called the Titan laser. And they're both part of the Jupiter laser facility, which is a big laser facility that we have at the lab and that we do our experiments with. All right. I've showed you how we can accelerate particles using lasers and plasmas. Well, now, how are we going to use them to make x-rays? How can we make x-rays just like the big machines? So if you remember, I told you that electrons can make x-rays in a particle accelerator by being wiggled by magnets. They go up and down and up and down, and they emit radiation. Well, in a plasma, we don't have any magnets. So how are are the electrons going to be able to wiggle in that uh, plasma? Well, instead of using magnets, the electrons are going to be able to use the wave itself to wiggle, just exactly like this wake border. So you have your laser driving your wake. You have your boat driving your wake. And the wake border, the electron, is able to use the strength of the wave to wiggle in the plasma accelerator. It's exactly the same thing as what this wake border is doing. And so in our laser plasma accelerator, we're back to our picture. So in red, this is your boat, your laser pulse. And then in blue, this is your electron plasma wave, your wake created by your laser pulse. And so we have very clever electrons that can be trapped at the top of the wave so that they're going to be able to ride the wave. And not only they're going to be able to ride the wave, but just like the wake border, they're also going to be able to wiggle. And if you remember a particle that goes very fast and that wiggles, it's going to emit x-rays. And this type of x-ray source, it's called Betatron x-ray source. This is a source that we have uh, created at the lab. And it looks like this. This is an actual picture of the source. And we can do a lot of very cool applications with it. In reality, this is what it looks like. So in that slide here, you have the laser coming in red onto a tiny piece of hardware where the magic happens. And because things happen on a very small scale, you can have this X-ray source that is able to fit in a small laboratory as opposed to a three kilometer length machine. So the laser wake field acceleration process using lasers and plasmas it's very powerful. It's very powerful because it creates very powerful x-rays, but also it's able to reproduce what we do with the big machine on a much smaller scale. And the principle is the same. We accelerate electrons to very, very fast speed, and the electrons wiggle, and then they emit radiation. And so I told you earlier that synchrotrons They have many X-ray wavelengths, but they're very slow. The free electron lasers, they have one X-ray wavelength, but it's very fast. And the X-rays that we have created with our laser plasma accelerator, not only they have many X-ray wavelengths, but they are also very fast. They're fast enough to look at molecules assembling together. And so now I'm coming to the last part of my talk, which is what can we do with these very cool X-ray sources? All right, one of them is radiography. So radiography is like taking pictures with X-rays. For example, if you send X-rays through your hand, X-rays are gonna penetrate your hand and they're gonna be able to let you see bones. This is radiography. This is what's being used at the doctor. But with our x-ray source from laser plasma accelerators, what we do is that we can look at other objects with very, very fine resolutions. We can look at very, very small things. These are two examples here. One of them on the left-hand side is a small insect. And you can see the very fine details of the insect. And then on the right hand side, it's the inside of a hip bone. And you can see the very fine details of the hip bone. And this would allow you to diagnose some uh, bone defects, for example, with this very powerful x-ray source. The other technique that you can use x-rays for is something called x-ray absorption spectroscopy. So what is x-ray absorption spectroscopy? If you have a sample, like a piece of aluminum, for example, and then send your X-rays through it, what happens? If if your X-ray source, like our laser plasma accelerator source, has many wavelengths, and it goes through that sample, some wavelengths are absorbed and some are not. This is what we call X-ray absorption spectroscopy. And the number of wavelengths or the type of wavelengths that have been absorbed by the sample tells you a lot about the nature of the sample. The other technique that we have, it's called X-ray diffraction. If you have a sample, like a big protein, for example, that can be responsible for diseases or that can help your body function, you send some X-rays to it, then the X-rays are just gonna scatter everywhere. And the way the X-rays scattered everywhere, it tells you also a lot about the structure of that protein. So very important use of X-rays. And the reason we like to have fast X-rays is that we can do something called pump probe experiments. So I told you about X-ray absorption spectroscopy. You send in many X-ray wavelengths through a sample, and some are absorbed, some are not. But let's say now you try to just push off on your sample a little bit. You're kinking your sample with a little bit of energy. That energy can come from another laser, for example. So what happens is that your sample is just going to change its structure and its shape. And then what we can do is that we can probe this with our x-rays a few femtoseconds after we have kinked the sample. And what it's going to do is that the way our x-rays are absorbed by the sample is going to be different than before we have pushed that sample around with that extra kink from another laser. And so we're going to be able to make a movie in real time of the sample changing shape and structure if we have a very fast x-ray source, like the one we create from laser plasma accelerators. This is a pump probe experiment. And so to explain and to use that type of x-ray source, it's very, very powerful because with a slow x-ray source, you can see the water molecule before, when it's hydrogen and oxygen atoms, and after, with the X-ray source from the laser plasma accelerator, you can see what happens in between. You can see things assembling and forming together. And that's why it's very powerful. And so to illustrate that, I'm going to turn it, turn it over to Dan for one last time, so that he's going to show you why it is important to have a very fast source in order to make movies of molecules and atoms arranging themselves.
2: So I wanted to help you understand what we mean by fast. Now, all x-rays travel at the speed of light through a vacuum. It's not one is faster than another. The word is being used more like a photographer would use it, talking about having a fast photographic system, meaning it can take images in a very short amount of time and freeze the motion. And so if scientists can take pictures of things with a fast x-ray system, they can take pictures of proteins folding and chemical reactions, and see things happening. So to help you understand that, and I'm gonna need a little help from you. Uh, First, if you have your cell phone and you can turn the light on, let's get those up. Kind of like maybe it's a a concert and you want an encore. And then I'm gonna show you on the screen here. And if we could take the lights down a little bit. There you go. So this is a slow system, move your lights in circles. And so see how everything's all blurry? And we don't really see what's going on if you were a chemical reaction. (laughs) So here's what it's gonna look like in a fast system. I'm gonna shorten the exposure and make it faster. And now we can see the individual lights except when I move the camera, but uh, let's make it even faster still. Look at that. Okay, I think we're gonna get an encore. So you get the idea, this is fast, we can see the motion, and slow, it's kind of blurred out. So we want a fast X-ray system and the laser wakefield accelerators do that. I'll turn it back to Felice. I look like fun.
1: <laughs> so, thank you, Dan. So, you've seen that it's much better to have fast x rays if you want to make movies of atoms and molecules arranging themselves. And so, I'm going to finish by saying that the research that I have showed you, we do a lot of it at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. But around the world, we have a lot of high-intensity lasers that can enable this research, and so I got the opportunity to travel to a lot of places to do experiments to create these new electron source and x-ray source to make movies of uh, atoms and molecules. So what have we learned today? So we've learned that particle accelerators use magnetic fields and electrical fields and particles can go to speed that are very close to the speed of light. Particle accelerators are used for many things. They're very important. One of the things that they're used for is x-rays. They can make x-rays. The problem with some of the particle accelerators is that they're very big machines. But thankfully, with lasers and plasma, we can make that happen over a very, very small scale. And we can have x-ray sources that can fit in a garage. We can have very powerful sources that are fast and that can allow you to make movies of atoms, molecules, and very fine details in uh, bones. And we can do a lot of experiments. We do a lot of them at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, but we also do some everywhere around the world. And just like regular particle accelerators have revolutionized fundamental science, medical applications, national security, and industry, because the X-ray sources coming from laser plasma accelerators are very powerful, very, very fast, and very versatile, and very compact, they will be even more revolutionary in the future for all of these uh, applications and these fields of studies. And of course, all the work that I do, and that's one of the great joys of my work, is that I collaborate with a lot of people. We do a lot of team experiments. And that's what makes this work very, very, very nice. And so with that, I probably won't be able to help you with your surfing skills. But I'll be happy to take questions and answer them about uh, physics, x-rays, and uh, laser plasma accelerators. Thank you very much. Thank you.